Welcome to She's a DPM, a platform for women to share their experiences, knowledge, and insights on cultivating a life in and outside the field of podiatric medicine and surgery. Curable Clinical features CTU hemp-derived products grown on their family farm. These products are internally tested multiple times by their PhD chemist. Each product is then assigned a certificate of analysis completed by a legitimate third-party accredited lab. Your curable experience is waiting. Okay, well, welcome back, everybody, to She's a DPM. I'm excited to have returning guest, Dr. Holly Spawn, back on the podcast today. If you haven't heard her first episode, that was in January of this year, 2023, and we dove a little bit into rural medicine um, and her passion for rural medicine, but I'm excited to have her back today for a full episode just to dive deeper into um, into working in rural medicine and the community. So welcome back to the podcast. Well, thank you. I mean, I'm just thrilled to be here and I really enjoy your show and I think you're doing a lot for the profession. So any way I can help, um, I'd be more than happy to, to you know, continue that that journey of just sharing stories, sharing experiences, because that's how we grow as a profession. Well, I, I loved having you on last time and I had to like stop myself. Cause I would just, I would like, listen, I'm like, shoot, I'm supposed to be the one that's asking questions. So, um, I had, I learned so much from you and, um, I'm so excited that you were wanting to come back on to t- discuss this topic today for those that who maybe aren't haven't listened to the last episode or aren't familiar with you, can you give us a little breakdown about yourself? Oh, sure. Thank you. Um, I guess I would like to share a little bit in the background where um, I was born and raised in Michigan and I came from a family of doctors and that really did set the precedence of going into medicine. Um, I was educated and trained in New York and then I completed my residency in Michigan but my husband, unbeknownst to myself, that you know, I wanted to practice in in Michigan because of the resources and references. Um, but but that didn't happen. Instead, um, we relocated to California. Um, my husband's an uh, internist and a hospitalist, and basically through the National Health Service Corps, um, he was placed in a position of being in a rural community for four years. And with that commitment, they then paid back his student loans. What a great idea. I wish Mm -hmm. that was our situation, which is something that I am planning on working on. And I have been working hard on because I feel like that would be solving a tremendous amount of problems, which I will dive into um, regarding healthcare and the crisis that we are having with on underserved communities that are not being represented. Um, There's not enough doctors. We have a doctor shortage and it just is getting getting worse. Um, And so there's a lot of things. It's almost like the perfect storm that's happening. And that is so, I'm so thankful to be on to share this because I think that this is a space and a place to practice where many just don't even know about it. I agree. And like, I'm excited to learn more about it as well. I know I'm currently in Chicago, but there are a lot of rural areas near Chicago. 
Um, so I'm interested in discussing further with you. You mentioned that you wanted to practice in Michigan because you had like, like some, uh, background there. And then yes, with your husband moved to California, what was your like thought process and like, were you nervous or like, uh, had any background even in like residency in school during any like rural medicine rotations, or was this going to be like the kind of the first time? Oh, yeah. I did not have any experience or exposure to rural medicine. I never lived in a small town. Um, I, I lived in a metropolitan area. And then I, I, I went to school in New York, New York City, and that was a big culture shock. Um, so for me, I just felt like four years is a commitment. I can do anything. Go for it. Let's do it. Um, I didn't realize that we would spend a lifetime raising our children there and, and falling in love with the community, uh, giving back to a community and uh, basically paying it forward. And those are the goals and, and the uh, that's the values that, that kind of came out of living in a rural community. <clears throat> so since, yeah, I remember you mentioning that, like, you're like, okay, it's, it'll be four years and it's been, it's been over four years, but like what over these last at over your time practicing in rural California like what are some unique challenges and challenges and opportunities that you feel like the rural met like being a rural podiatrist has like offered you or presented you compared to like somebody in a urban setting yeah um it really there are truly big challenges to overcome I did not have a clue. I did not have any mentoring. I didn't have any resources. I just had to go in full bore. Um, again, I wasn't afraid, but now that I look back on that, I think I wish I had had more information. And that's what I'm hoping to share with anyone who wants to go in because there are amazing opportunities, but there's a huge amount of challenge there. And so what happened was I became almost immediately an advocate for my patients. I realized that limited resources, they're, um, uh, they were unable to afford healthcare, their lack of resources, a lack of education. I mean, lack of advocacy, um, there was no voice for them. They, we, basically, this community felt like our, our legislators were not even caring, as well as the insurances didn't care. They promised um, all of these different insurance policies, but they were given to these patients that they would have to drive 45 miles down a canyon that people literally crash every year and, uh, and die. Um, it's very dangerous. So many of them just can't get those services. So what happened was I became an advocate and um, realized that you know, we have big shoulder, broad shoulders, and we have a responsibility as physicians, as podiatrists in our community to help those patients navigate through whatever they are going through. Because as you know, with diabetics and wound care, it is not just taking care of one thing and then they're done. That's a lifetime commitment to these patients. It's family related. It's economically related. So there, that crisis kind of was something that just started to, to um, I started to see and realize that I had to get involved. And so those were the bigger challenges was just finding the resources. Uh, I got involved in the community. I got involved with 
starting food drives and shoe drives and any kind of drive. Um, they were that lacking. We didn't, we don't have resources in this community. There's not um, even a shelter. So the community um, struggles and that's where I got into, like I said, advocacy. And um, I guess I'll share this right now. I, I feel in my bones and in my blood, the value of, of helping our profession grow stronger as well as our patients. And so I am planning on running for the APMA board and I'm doing that for the same reason I did the CPMA board. And that again was to help my patients have a voice and those out there um, to have the care they need, but you can't do that without legislation and you can't do that without uh, advocating at that higher level and having the leadership and the support. So that whole network that's built and supported for many people is just not there for the, 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 the rural community. And so I was trying to, I'm trying to bridge that gap and I'd like to do it on a larger scale. That's wonderful. And I'm so excited to hear that. So oh, I, I hope everyone listening will, will, will watch for those being able to vote you for well, the as well. Um, you mentioned, I know like that it is like part of a, as being a physician, it's part of part on us as well, like in helping our patients navigate the like things that they don't maybe fully understand or like don't even know like the steps like you don't know what you don't know are the steps to take um that also can weigh heavy on the physician physician's shoulders as well uh like taking on all those patients as well and like thinking of them like I know my patients I I wake up and sometimes think of some people so is there anything that you like have that's helped you kind of balance that act like of like I still really want to care I want to help but I also need to be able to mentally help myself as well and not carry all this on on my own as well like yeah, you know for mental I, health or burnout I, yeah I think that's a great question I think that's really on on, on the minds of many young physicians as well as as older physicians, we all are, um, that concern. I love that the younger ones are bringing it up because I think we older <laughs> ones just take it on. Or take it on and, and it just, it's never ending. You're right. Um, yeah. The things that I've always um, done to help me is I'm a runner. So of course I run every day. I journal every day and I meditate. So those are my, my three go-tos and that helps to kind of center and focus. But honestly, I get empowered when I can help. I get disempowered when I don't have a voice. And that's the biggest thing that I've taken away through this community. Um, it almost, when I first got there, I felt like I was 50 years backwards, you know, in time. They were doing the Pledge of Allegiance and the front of the school, the elementary, my kids are going to school in the front, bringing the flag up and down. And I remember that, but I, I, I thought that was something that might not be done now. And they all, the whole school comes out for that flag. <laughs> um, I, I, I thought that was uh, interesting and, and, and wonderful, but it's just a different, it, it's just set backwards a little bit in the sense of time. And so uh, another really big um, impacting moment for me was when we first moved there, this, um, we live in Lake Isabella. Um, 
or I'm sorry, I don't live there now, but I did. Um, and basically that is a, a beautiful lake. It, it's a reservoir and the Lake Kern, the Kern River flows into it and basically feeds that. And that's from uh, Mount Whitney. Well, within the first month of our moving to California, a family of five drowned in that lake. And when I heard this, I was devastated. I was heartbroken. Um, the, the husband, the, the father and the mother did not know how to swim, but they went after their children who were drowning and they all drowned. Um, what that did to me was I immediately started to say, wait a minute, do we have a swimming program here? And we don't. What? We do not have a swimming program in a lake that is twenty. that the entire valley lives around. That's the, the name of it, Lake Isabella. Um, there is, there's no YMCA, there's no um, rec department, there's no boys and girl, uh, girl scout club, or boys and girls club, there's, there's nothing. So I immediately started to get involved in that. And long story short, there was a uh, pool that was built out further in, a, in another district and they used it and they were smart. They used uh, grant money to buy it so they could uh, use it as a water reserve to fight fires. That was it. But I wondered, why are we not using that to teach children to swim? So I started a program. I had to raise $20,000 for three years in a row. I had to get involved in all sorts. But um, again, I, I, it can feel and sound a little overwhelming, but it wasn't. It was motivating. It was, let's fix the problem. What is exhausting is seeing a family drive, you know, not, not that, that was horrifying. What, what is exhausting is seeing things that don't work and there's no one there helping to make a difference. So, um, I, I did get, I did, uh, recruit people. I got involved. I, I started to speak at, at the high school and the elementary schools, uh, the Rotary Club, Elks Club, um, uh, exchange, all of these little, um, the clubs that are around the community that do a lot of good. You just had to get involved. But when you ask me about how do you um, navigate, it's really difficult because you're not using the resources that we're all told to use, such as advertising and, um, you know, internet, or, um, and your websites, um, texting. Those are not even part of how you get a hold of your patients. <laughs> in a community like mine. I want to first go back to just that story that you just shared. That was so like, I want you to just skip over the APMA board running and just run for the president of the United <laughs> States. Okay, please. You're like you're like the candidate that we're all oh. looking for that oh. is just like genuinely sees a problem in the community and like wants to change it for the betterment of their community. So I'd vote for you. <laughs> Thank you. So just you. put it in the back of your mind, okay? Go go from well, CPMA, APMA to POTUS. Okay. Well, whatever whatever that that road is, I I do believe that um, you know, another saying that I have is that leadership is born out of adversity and um although I sound like hey, I came from a family of doctors and and whatnot, um, I also was born with a cleft lip and palate, and I think that really uh, emotionally affected me um, through growing up, and it taught me the value of what medicine and surgery can do. 
and it changed my life, right? It, it was the most important thing that ever could happen. I, I, um, I had a few surgeries when I was born, all the way up until five, you know, ears and, and all sorts of different surgeries. But it wasn't until I was 17 years old that I had my first reconstructive surgery. I can tell you that was a hard life to live 17 years with a deformed nose, speaking funny, whistling, having to wear a mouthpiece, um, you know, et cetera. It, I, I did get bullied, it, it, and that's just to say it lightly. Um, and so I do know the value of what is important is I didn't have a voice. I, I didn't want to. I, I was so afraid. I was in shame. Um, I lived in that. So I, I now had one and I was like, wow, this is so nice to not be made fun of and not poked at and, you know, fingers pointing and laughing and whispering and all that. So I guess that might be where it comes from. I'm not sure, but I, I do believe that we must empower everyone to make sure that they feel heard because if you're not, it's a very lonely and isolating situation. So I related to my community in that same way. I knew what it was like to be alone, isolated, not thought of as anything but the black sheep. And I said, no, not going to happen. Curable Clinical is seeking all doctors and practitioners interested in getting to the root cause of disease. They believe in nutrition, movement, brain health, and dealing with trauma. They also believe in non-surgical procedures like regenerative medicine, shockwave, laser therapies, and want to continue to support the advancement of more minimally invasive procedures and options. Request your free samples today for their THC-free provider-exclusive topicals featuring their homegrown CBD in combination with powerful analgesics and essential oils. Your curable experience is waiting. And see all the positive changes that you're making. So I can see like you, yeah, getting a lot of like empowerment and like wanting other people to have that feeling as well. Yep, 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 yep. And so, um, you know, it's basically, you know, these these drives and resources that just really um, weren't available. I found through the leadership of our profession that they were, they were there. We just had to ask. We just had to find a way to network, such as what you do, bringing these stories to life and sharing them across the country. The same thing happens even in a small town with our patients. If we can't get them the services they need, we are not doing our our sir. Uh, we're not doing um, our job, but our patients, you know, suffer from those consequences, and 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 that's something that I think we all know, and we don't want to have happen. Are there certain resources that are available just as like a rural medicine doctor that like through different programs? I'm I'm honestly like not not sure. Or is that part of the problem? That's part of the problem. Um, there are no specialists in the area of 45 mile radius down a really treacherous canyon. So patients that are, you know, the elderly that are on fixed incomes and can't drive, they have to pay people. They don't have extra money to do so. So they just go without. So I've worked really hard to make sure that I can get my DME license and give them the shoes up here um, and, and different uh, DME um, modalities that, that were not available. They were told that they had to go down to Bakersfield to, to get those. And um, that was really hard to deal with. But again, yeah, you have to work really hard to get those resources. But once you do, and, and of course, I've been there for 22 years, 
Um, it, it, it's a wonderful thing. I don't even know if the patients understand what you what what it took to get that. But the reality is, is that it makes life a lot easier to be able to write them a prescription and be able to pro pro provide that care versus knowing they're just not going to get it. They just aren't going to have shoes. They're going to walk with their socks on, and if they even have that. That is a. I mean, that's huge. Uh, exact, like exactly like you said. Like you also like the difference between like if you even have like a pre-ulcerative lesion and, and like how quickly that could change. So and then, uh, wow, I can see how I'm like thinking in my head how easily that could snowball very quickly without yeah, that. And, and it's it's hard, really. Um, you know, Stephanie, to realize that the patients just don't know, right? You know, they don't know because they don't feel they're insensate. So what are we dealing with? Someone who comes in with, they're coming because their, their wife or husband said it's your foot smells or, you know, don't, you know, they're, they're seeing it for the first time and it's gangrenous um, or, you know, extreme stuff. It isn't little there. I don't get a lot of my bunion hurts me. I don't have any of that, to be honest. I don't do that work. I do limb salvage and uh, that's mainly my focus. Of course, I see anything, but the reality is, is that, like you said, at one point, what you don't know, you don't know. Um, <laughs> they, they don't know what they don't know. Um, and so what happens is you have to rely heavily on your primary care physicians. So that relationship is huge. You need to educate, you need to um, work closely, you need to, to do a lot of re referral back and forth and, and really, um, you, you almost become a primary care physician yourself just because you might need to be the one to tell them that their blood sugars are 500, I just checked them and you're sending them to the ER, blah, blah. But, but at the same time, um, they aren't, there, there, there's not a lot of resources to get them to uh, have a class in in nursing, uh, a nurse educating them. We don't have that. The only thing you'll have is telemedicine. But guess what? Most of the patients don't are out in even more rural settings than myself. They live in in out in communities and out in the mountains. They have no internet. Wow. So, so when we had COVID. I, I would see patients in the, out in the parking lot. Um, you couldn't rely on getting information to them via, you know, what, emails. Many don't use them. They don't know how to use it. They don't have a computer. They don't even know what Amazon is. And I'm not joking. I'm not trying to be hyperbolic. They don't, they, they, they move to these communities because they're afford, more, more affordable, but they also move there because they want to be off the grid or out of that situation um you know with being more isolated but that isolation comes with a price and they don't realize they come out here oh this is great it's such a cheap you know it's more affordable to live here but what happens is they, there's no there's no specialists there's none i i'm the only one and that's because i'm married to my husband would i be there just as a podiatrist i don't know but i think that's an untapped um, resource or uh, to untapped area for all those people getting out of podiatry school and out of the residencies because you're going to be needed. You can make a you can make a practice happen, and you can be very, very. Um, it, it can be very fulfilling and rewarding. You let you perfect let uh, like uh, intro into my next question is like, do you know much about? I know I 
I went to Des Moines and I know uh, other schools as well have this, like where it's the rural medicine, like scholarship where I think you got, like, they got that, they applied for that, like either in, like when they're entering their first year um, and the, they, they, after they graduate residency, they need to go back for a small part of time, uh, kind of like your husband and see like rural and like have a practice at least part-time in like the rural area. I don't know. Do you know? I don't know that. that? I would, you know what? I, I really want to know more. So maybe I, I need to look into that because my big thing right now is focused on the National Health Service Corps. So if I become an APMA um, board member, my goal would be, one of my goals is to make sure that we can get back on that because apparently back in 1974 to 79 for four, five years, um, we had that opportunity and I met a, a podiatrist who actually received that award and that, that scholarship. So his scholarship, his, his student loans were paid back for those four years. Wouldn't that be amazing? It would be uh, very amazing. So what advice would you give to like podiatry students um, or even fellow podiatrists or like coming up graduating residents that are interested in pursuing a career in rural medicine and like what resources are maybe available to help like with with guidance in a in this type of career? Oh, that's an awesome question. Thank you. Um, I feel like I don't have all the answers, of course, for the the resource aspect. And I didn't have that. Um, and I'm so happy that I'm hearing that there are resources out there. But I think what's important is that everyone, if they're going to do something like this, please shadow someone. I mean, you're certainly, I would love to give you uh, out my phone number, 760-223-0269. That's my cell. And you could always call and ask. Um, I'd love to have anyone just come out just to see, because it's a definitely, it's a different cadence. It's a different vibe. And, you know, um, to me, it's the most rewarding experience to have them come and and, and pay me, you know, bring their eggs to me from their chickens and make blankets for me and my baby, my my children. But but more than that, it's just a whole different way of of how you deal with patients. And the question, though, I think you have to ask yourself if you're serious about it, or say there is a way to get your student loans paid back. Yes, it's. That is a wonderful thing, and I think it it needs to happen. But you really need to make sure that you can deal with that that difference in in a, in a social setting because, um, you know, there's not a lot of shopping. There's a lot of isolation. There's lack lack of resources. Um, all of these things may be things that you can overcome because you're working, you're dealing with patients, you're helping, but your spouse or your significant other um, might not be that same, have that keen idea of being okay with it. That is really what's happened to um, us over the years for the 22 years my husband and I have been in this community. We've seen people come and go, you know, different doctors come and go, and mostly it's the spouses that can't can't tolerate, uh, handle the, the community. It's just different. And it's nothing wrong. It's just that they, you know, aren't prepared for that kind of level of, you know, you can't, there's just not a lot out there, but Hey, I was okay with it because, well, not only did I work, but 
I love the mountains and I love kayaking and I love water. And, and so all of that was, was pretty amazing. And I thought that was a great way to raise our children and let them play in the Creek in, outside the backyard versus, you know, what kids here can't go out there in their backyard half the time. No, if I have kids in downtown Chicago, it's going to look <laughs> different than where, where you're at. California. Yeah. And I think you said it best by, Come in, go shadow, go shadow, see if it, it is a good fit. And if it is, then like bring your like significant other. And I, that's always the number one uh, recommended thing is shadow, 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 right? You don't know until you're in it sometimes. Yeah. Well, I, I love having you on. I want to ask some, fi- I always like asking my like two yep. uh, final thoughts and questions. Um is there anything new outside of podiatry that you are currently learning or doing? Yeah. Um, uh, well, I, I, I told you I'm a runner and, um, I have been, I've turned my running into, um, I've, I've gone into just strictly trail running. And so I, um, competed and did my first 50 and now I'm looking at running a hundred miles. Um, it's yeah, pretty daunting. (laughs) I just took a big fall and uh, I don't know if that's something uh, I'll, I need to, I need to reevaluate when I can get this done, but it is on my list. I want to do that. So that keeps me going. And um, of course, I think I shared this with you uh, at my last time I was on, I am writing a book and it's really um, morphing into, I, I was started out as ri- writing a children's book um, to empower children with, with cleft lips and palates, but, but it's morphed into my own story. And so it's been fun. It's been exciting. And, and, uh, I, I hope to get it done. I, it, it's on, it's always on that back burner, <laughs> but that, those are the things. Those are both very wonderful things. And everything goes back to you being like, just a, a, a very selfless and like caring oh. human. So <laughs> I know I keep saying that. I really mean that. Uh, what are you listening to, if anything, while you're running 50 oh, miles? I listen to so many things. I listen to podcasts. <laughs> I listen to, I uh, do books. I do audio books. Um, what what's a, mo- what's a, one of your most recent audio books? Most recent, um, what you would recommend. So, oh, I did, um, the ministry for the future by Kim Stanley Robinson. And that one was a book that was quite difficult to, uh, kind of a challenge to get through because it is truly the problem of environmental, of what we're facing environmentally and the refugees that we, we talk about refugees and we think, oh, we can't have them, but we will have climate refugees and how just on the coast will then you know, be sinking and these other things happen, blah, blah. So it's very, it's a wonderful book. And my son, actually, he's at UCSB and he's like, mom, you've got to read this. And actually, yeah, so that was one. And then the other one that I really, really um, liked was um, Outlive. And that one's by Peter Atira. Um, he's an MD and, and that's a good book that, that just talks about how important it is to keep, um, yourself healthy all the way through so you can live your entire life and, you know, blah, blah. It's pretty good. I have not read either one of those. So now they're on my list of uh, books to add to. So thank you for sharing. And what is a tip? I know we've, I've already asked you this, but 
maybe there's another tip uh, that you wish you could add, like tell your younger self. How about we'll change it like about pursuing a career in rural medicine? Okay, that's definitely different. Um, yeah, <laughs> because it wasn't something that I truly pursued, but it's it could be amazing for anyone who wants to do that. I think the tip would be um, uh, to visit, right? To to at least shadow, visit, find out what what um, opportunities. But I guess maybe more importantly is don't be intimidated and don't think that this might be the only opportunity or it can't morph into something else. I think we get locked in, especially when you're, you have student loans and you have big bills to pay. You've got, you know, board certification. There's a lot like riding on those, those, op, those uh, choices, but life is really not so black and white. And you never know where you end up and you never know really why. I mean, of course, there are those people that do, but I just really would like to ask them truly what, <laughs> how they got there, because I think it is something that there's energy that comes with that. And, and it leads you if you just feel it. But um, if you're not happy, it's okay. Go somewhere else. I literally was just going to ask you if you're an intuitive like person and like have a feeling of where you're supposed to be. And like, when you are on the right path, like it, you just have this feeling you're like, okay, I know where I'm supposed to be right now. I don't know where I'm going to be in the future, but I know I'm on my path. Um, are you saying, do you do that? Cause I do not. And you do not do <laughs> <laughs> No, you just said, there's like a feeling. I, I do know. that. That's you me. You think I would, but I actually yeah. second guess myself so much. And, and it's oh, a I mean, I second guess much. myself every day, but like, I don't know. You just kind of, you may do that without like, no, like if you just said like, it's a feeling and like, not everything has to be right where you're at. Like, and you do the thing that pushes you forward a little step-by-step step and you zoom out and you're like, wow, I've like actually ha like progressed and changed and challenged myself. And I'm on a, a, a path that maybe I didn't see myself on, but it's really looked at my, look at my life and look how it's blossomed. Yeah. I, I think you're right. I think that, um, you have to do that. I think I've learned through my 53 years of life that you really have to say it's going to be okay. And I've learned that um, what I've had, what I really had to learn was I could feel something for now. And that those two words for now is all you have to do on anything. So it's hard for now. I'm stressed for now. I'm scared. You know, those things are real, but if you, if you leave that, if you let that punctuate with for now, it's not forever. And for some reason I would set the, the tone of the first part and I would live in it. And that is never a good place to live. And it just, you know, plays on your mind and, and it, it does make you do different choices that you might not make. But, you know, knowing I'm going to be okay. I, I'm going to be fine. And even if it isn't, I'm going to get back up. That's all it is. Just get back up. And, and, and if I wanted to share one more point, I think is, I think that's important because we're all in a very, in, in medicine, didactically, academically, everyone strives to be the best. You're already the best. You're already at the higher level, right? And we always push ourselves. But you know what? It's sometimes hard. It's hard to, to fail. 
And, and yet it really isn't. And for, for us, it is because you're used to doing well, you're used to pushing. And if you don't, then you go into a field that may be easier. But the reality is with, with patients, you do your best and you sit with them during those times that even if it doesn't work out and you have to amputate or they didn't follow up and they walked on their foot, you know, there are a million things, but you, you don't have to, there, there, it's not always perfect. It doesn't always work, but I promise you, if you just realize you're going to be okay, even when everything, the floor falls it, or the ceiling drops, I don't know which one, but it, it feels like everything happens at once. You're going to be okay. I think those are perfect words to summarize everything we've kind of talked about today too. Just that, yeah, everything will be okay. Uh, if people do have questions and they want to reach out to you, where, I know you just mentioned your cell phone. Um, or my, my email is dpmspooner at hotmail.com. That's D-P-M-S-P-O-O-N-E-R at hotmail.com. And of course, um, well, I think that's, that's about it, but I'm in California. Anyone come on out. You can, you know, whitewater raft. I mean, it, it, it would be a fun thing. You can, you can go in shadow and then we can go rafting or something. <laughs> Sign me up. Yeah. All right. come on out. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming back and being a uh, guest and always having such wonderful conversations and hope to have you on again in the future. Oh, well, thanks so much. And I love what you're doing. Keep doing it. It's so important. Truly you are doing the, the good, good, work for our profession. Thank you. Curable Clinical is currently working with over 100 podiatrists across the country and fights for the independent practice owner. They support veterans through the nonprofit organization Veterans in Pain and are here to do their part to fight against the opioid epidemic. If you'd like to learn more, please visit www.curable.com. Email me at droxman at gmail.com. The address is in the show notes below. And let me know if there's a topic or if you know a kick-ass lady who should be interviewed. Thanks for listening. Looking forward to hearing your comments and suggestions on the podcast. And remember, stay uncomfortable. That's where we grow.